Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. My guest today is Peter Evans. He's the engineering director at OptFly, previously was the CTO at Active Campaign and Built In. Well, well Peter, uh, thanks for coming. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, to, to introduce you, currently an engineering director at OptLoans, uh, previously a CTO at Built-In, as well as Active Campaign. Um, Active Campaign for, for quite a while. I think a lot of people know them now, but you were there uh, through the whole building process, right? Uh, a lot of it, not all of it. Uh, I joined in 2006 there, uh, and so I was there for a really long time. It's a very small company and also a very different company, I think, than what it is today. Um, okay. But yeah, when I when I left, we'd gotten to just under like 200 people. So a lot of people, a lot of growth. Um, and then built-in was about 40 some people when I joined, and, and then that was got up to about 130 when I left there. Oplones is uh, by far, and actually we, we just changed our name to Offline. Oh really? Because we are now listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Oh, congratulations! That's and that big. Just happened like yesterday. Or Wednesday. Wow. Since Wednesday. Op Prime? Op Fi. Op Fi. Nice. O P P F I. And so, so yes, it, this is actually the largest company I've, I've ever worked for. So we have over 600 employees. We have over 70 engineers. So it's definitely the largest like technical team I've worked on. Uh, and that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Great. Well, could you share a little bit about um, your role in, in, I guess, team or teams you oversee at Op? op- Five. I get five. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I can. Um, so I work on, uh, I manage a backend engineering team. Uh, we're called the Sea Otters. Uh, and we do loan origination primarily. Um, I also am managing a platform engineering team. So we do work across the entire organization. I just started working with that team literally like this week. So very new to me. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not new to the ideas of what a platform engineering team would do, but what we essentially do is our, our customers are other engineers. So we work on projects that help make their workflows go faster, um, help support, you know, needs that teams have across the business. Um, so that's a lot of fun for me too. Yeah. Great. Well, I, I, we were talking a little bit before I started recording around um, kind of the the style of development at, at OpFi, which I've always thought was interesting. Um, I know there's a lot of pair programming, even mob programming, which is something that I think some people love, some people don't love. But you said you you have, you know, you probably do it more here than you've ever done it in the past. Yes. Yeah. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's 100% pair programming at all times, which you know, sometimes people will be like, I don't really want to be on camera and, you know, talk okay. to you all day. And that's totally understandable. But uh, the benefit of this is that, first of all, there's a lot of, of mentoring that happens through pair programming. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really nice to give people access to other developers and what they're thinking. It makes it really easy to onboard people because you can just say, just join the pairing and you can shadow or you can actually actively participate. We can switch off and you can write code and then I can write code. And, um, but one of the other really big benefits is a lot of the things that speed up or slow down engineering is feedback. 
I need feedback from somebody in order to keep going. If I write some code and I make a pull request for that, and now I need, you know, Janet to go like review the code, um, Janet might not see that for like two hours. Yeah. And so then she reviews the code and then she has a question or she has a problem with something that I wrote. So now she needs to send the review request back to me and say, hey, Peter, I need you to look at this one thing. And I don't see that for another two hours after that. And then you get this long chain going. It's a week now. And yeah. now maybe finally we figure out what was going on. If I were pair programming with Janet uh, or Joe or whoever on the team, and we were doing this stuff and, and, and Janet was giving me her feedback and I was saying, you're right, I should totally have changed this. Um, I could have resolved that right, right there, right in that first two hour block where I was writing that code. And Janet was writing that code too, maybe. And so she could just do the things that she knows should have been done. Yeah. Um, and it, that's the kind of efficiency you unlock with pair programming. But you also run into the times where people are just like, I don't know, you put me on camera. So you still have to find a way to enable that asynchronous review and, and feedback. But you have to understand that like feedback is what really affects our speed. Uh, sure. So if you can if you can shorten that, you make things a lot more efficient. Yeah. Well, even in, in my current company, we don't really pair, not formally in any way, shape, or form, right? And I think feedback is still the the biggest hurdle, right? Where we're we're trying to figure out, okay, well, we've got this thing, it's pushed out, but now we actually have to test it, and how do we how do we work through that? And then, you know, if it's making edits, that could be quick edits, right? It might be something we can change in fifteen minutes. It might be a whole day, right? And then all of a sudden, we're pushing timelines back. So, it, that makes a lot of sense, and and certainly in you know, when our world is more remote and, and getting used to that, I think it's it's interesting where I think those feedback loops can be even greater sometimes, right? Because you got someone in a different time zone who now they're off the clock and how do you work around that? So right. interesting. Uh, I, I'm curious. Um, I, I know your level, you probably didn't necessarily have a lot of technicals coming into to Op5, but have you done technical interviews lately, either for your team or as an interviewee? Um, I... I haven't done the actual like exercises with them. I've done the sort of, we call them like behavioral interviews. Mm -hmm. The way we do it on, on our team is we have like a, uh, like a skill list that we follow and say communication is important, empathy is important, systems thinking is important. We figure out what's like a strongly worded statement that describes like what we think is a good communicator or, or a great pers you know, person with empathy, with great empathy. And then we say, okay, now that we have these, we have to design either an exercise or questions, like specific questions, whatever it is, whichever one, we have to always do them. So yeah. I want to yeah. be able to ask the same question of everybody or do the same exercise with everybody so that I can be fair. Um, and then from there, we just say, okay, given what you asked and what you saw, what's your assessment? So for the tech exercises, I haven't been doing them lately. Uh, but I have done the more question and answer kind of stuff lately. Yeah, I, li I like that idea of, well, I think part of the reason interviewing is so frustrating for companies and for interviewees is that if it's not a, you know, everyone gets the same type of questions, it can be very difficult to build any type of rubric or have any type of real scale other than just, you know, gut reaction or how you felt talking to someone, which is very obviously biased in a lot of ways, right? So uh, I, I like that that strategy. So you're 
you're evaluating for what were those qualities? So we, we do uh, communication, uh, empathy, systems thinking, uh, robust unit testing. Um, mm-hmm. We do, um, I actually can pull up the whole list for you. Give me one second. Because uh, I, I have it written down in Confluence. Um, so we have also idiomatic solutions. So writing code that's you know strongly sort of tied to how a language should be written. Uh, modular yeah. implementation. So whether you're writing composable code um, and outcome driven. So someone who is more focused on outcomes as opposed to following explicit rules that must never bend or break or you know, rather than people who are more pathological and are kind of cruel, we don't want cruel people to work with us. Uh, and we also focus on synthesis. So how do I incorporate new information and how do I adapt them to our workflow? Yeah, great. Uh, very interesting. So how, you, you say you're, you're trying to come up with statements that basically will align with that um, and then figuring out how are you grading that? I guess, can you give an example for one of those like, like idiomatic solutions of how you would actually be asking that question and maybe how you're, you're also grading it? Because I think that's kind of an interesting one where if I, if I see that, I go, oh, I don't know if I know how to <laughs> evaluate that correctly. So the, the one that we use for that is uses idioms of a language to write efficient and elegant solutions to problems. And so an idiom would be like, in this case, um, what is go? what should go code look like? What should closure code look like? We use a lot of closure on my team. Um, so you want something that's functional. You want something that is being really thoughtful about whether or not to use state. Um, and trying to avoid state if you can. And you want to be able to have a strong reaction to that statement. You want to either be able to say, yeah, I totally agree. They did all that. Or I totally disagree. But you also want to be able to get, capture something in the middle and say, I agree that they do this stuff, but I don't strongly agree. But I agree. Mm. And uh, so there's a, a concept called a Likert scale, L-I-K-E-R-T. Um, which I think was uh, was like a social science kind of, I don't know if it was psychology or what discipline that kind of came up with it, but there's a, a gentleman that came up with it whose last name was Wicker. And uh, it's, you've seen it. It's, you've definitely seen it because it's the strong disagree, disagree, neutral, agree, strong agree scale. Five, like a five point scale would do, would be that. And that's what we use because that's a, what our, our uh, HR system uses, the greenhouse for jobs. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we line it all up. Nice. So that that that's that's helpful. I think that's really interesting because I don't know if it's, companies may have something like that, but maybe not as structured. And I think having the more structure you can put in place, you get I don't know more results that you can actually track and then try to iterate on, right? Versus again that that gut feeling or, or something kind of less um, proven that I think a lot of hiring is based around, which can be really frustrating on both sides. Yeah, I feel like feelings are feelings are nice, but you know, uh, what, what does a feeling mean? Why do you feel a certain way about you know? It's sort of I can't really pin it down. And I think that when you talk to other people, whether they're engineers or not, I think they appreciate having structure. I think they appreciate being told like this is what expectations we have for you as an interviewer, and this is how I can yeah. train you, and this is how you can understand whether or not you're doing a good job. 
and how you could get better. Um, so I think you're being clearer with the interviewer and you should also be clear with the interviewee. Like I actually tell people that I interview, like this is what I'm gonna ask you about. I'm gonna ask you questions around communication and empathy. And here we go. Um, and I think they appreciate having that heads up that like I'm, I'm asking you specific questions. We're gonna riff off that. Like these are just starting points, but I'm gonna ask you certain questions that I ask everybody. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I always say we should give someone the study guide, right? When I was in recruiting full time, it was my my goal is try to get some information from the company. I'm not going to, you know, take the exact question that they ask and give it to the person, but at least let me give them some area to focus on for their prep. So we're not just, I use the history test example a lot. If you're taking a test on all of history, that's going to be a pretty tough test. If you're taking a test on World War II in this country between these specific years, okay, I, I've got a much better, um, you know, percentage of actually being able to solve those problems, right? Mm -hmm. so I like that a lot. Does your system change depending on, you know, levels or, or specific roles? Yeah, so we, we try to be, you know, pretty structured about how we design these interviews, but the one thing that I as a hiring manager have some input on is what does it take to qualify, you know, as a senior engineer, mid-level engineer, um, because, because it is kind of unjudged by our hires, right? Make a bad hire. Peter, what, is it, what if we can do to get better at, at avoiding hirings like this? Um, so I sort of need to have that ability to say, this is what I need, you know, for this role, but I'll apply that to everybody. And so I'll say like, you need at least, a, you know, two goods or a grade or whatever, however I want to do it. Um, understanding what someone is bringing to you and how that's adding to the team and how you can apply that fairly because that's what you need from the role and not what you're hoping to get from a specific individual. Um, that I think is a, a really good way to approach it. Yeah, I like that. I'm just curious in, in, in Opify's um, uh, circumstances, are you specifically looking for people that come from pair programming backgrounds or are you open to people that, that don't come from that background at all? No, I'm, I'm very open. So I don't have really strong uh, opinions about whether you've done a lot of pair programming or whether you have done a lot of closure work. Um, I think, you know, someone who's a good engineer is someone who can, you know, work with languages. You have to have an interest in closure, right? Like if you're not interested in working with a list-based language that is functional, then this might not be the right circumstance for you. But if you are open, um, then why not, right? Whether you come from Python or Go or whatever, that can all work. Yeah, fantastic. And is there still Ruby in the environment there? Is it being moved away from or is that separate systems? It's not being moved away from. So, you know, you get to larger organizations, you kind of just have like lots of stuff going on. So we do have a lot of Ruby and a lot of Rails in the system. Um, we probably always will. And that's totally fine, right? Because part of the point of having a large organization that especially is, is a kind of a service-based architecture is I can talk to other services and I don't need to be Ruby to do it. You know, I can just say, you have an API, I will use your API. You have to imagine that a lot of larger companies, they just too much, too many teams that can't really manage who's using what language. So at a certain point, they're just gonna say, you figure out what's good for you. Here's the API, run with it. <laughs> 
Yeah. And that's that's kind of how we we try to organize it. So we don't want to have like zero input on on how you write stuff, but we do want to give a lot of latitude to our teams to pick the right tools for the job. Nice. Sometimes it's Ruby. Yeah. Great. Uh, I guess shifting the um, the sides of the table here a little bit. Have when you were doing technical interviews in the past, as as you know, you you were the interviewee. How did you think you did in those? Um, you know, you love them? Did you hate them? Somewhere in between. <laughs> it's a long time since I've done a technical interview. Uh, so the last time I did it was when I joined Active Campaign, and um, I think the way they did it is Jason designed and and. Uh, exercise that he claimed no one ever passed, including me. So, okay. <laughs> um, but I did, I did what was asked. I said it just wasn't perfect, but whatever. But, but that's fine. Uh, it was a file uploader. So he was like, write something that could upload data, you know, in PHP, uh, because that was kind of hard at the time. It is sort of a hard problem. Um, and so I did. Uh, and it was a take-home thing, so there was no like live coding, whatever. Um, and I was like deathly sick that weekend. I was he doesn't know that I was deathly <laughs> sick when we, the weekend we did that, and uh, and so I but I still I got it done. And I guess he liked it well enough, so he hired me. Um, but uh, I've you know I've done take-home things, and I've. Uh, I've run teams that have done more live coding things, um, mm -hmm. which is interesting signal on one hand, but on the other hand, it can be kind of stressful for people. So you don't want to design sure. something that's like really intense because people are probably already feeling kind of, you know, nervous. Uh, so you don't want to freak them out or you want to be explicit about what you're looking for. I've run technical interviews where we tell people like, hey, we just want to see how you collaborate with other people. There is no end to this particular exercise you're going to be doing. Don't even bother trying to finish it. It doesn't really matter in the end. We just want to see how you work with us. Um, being explicit is helpful, uh, especially when people are super nervous and yeah, their 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 mind is expanding to the worst possible of everything. And so you want to really narrow things down to what they should be focusing on. Yeah, I think uh, Home Chef here in Chicago has, or there in Chicago has a unique um, interview process where typically the later stages, they're collaborating on a problem. It's, it's something that was a real ticket in the past. And the whole idea is, you know, we, we could solve this problem in 15 minutes and, you know, this might not be a great interview, right? The goal is for us to converse through this and figure it out together, right? Obviously, we know the solution, um, but, you know, we want to work with you as as close as possible to this being a real life situation, right? Um, that's kind of an interesting process that I do think is is helpful. It's still a little stressful, right? Because you're doing it, uh, you're coding in front of other people, but it is, I think, closer to what people are comfortable actually doing day to day versus, you know, return some input in a fixed amount of time, which is <laughs> what I, I think is difficult sometimes for folks. I'm a fan of, of technical interviews that somewhat model what you could be doing. And I've, I've done this both ways. I've done sort of academic ones where I, I think for a while it built into doing the game of life. Do the Conway's sure. game of life. And people come in like, I don't even know what Conway's game of life is. But it seemed like a really interesting project. And we tried very hard to tell people like it's, you know, you don't have to know everything. You also don't have to finish it. I think people still got kind of stressed out. Um, 
at Opify, we are doing technical exercises where we're moving to a model. We, we, we have a lot of the academic stuff we've done in our past, but what we're working on right now is an exercise that's more about what you could literally be doing. So that's not our current state today, but it, it is our, our future state. And it, it's one where it depends on the team. So like uh, the team that does more SRE work, they actually have something that is closer to what they do. And it's like, there's mm. a problem to go fix the problem. We're going to work with you together to fix the problem. You know, on a backend team, we could say there's an API that you need to pull some data from and do something with it. That's very representative of our workflow. So getting to a stage where we do those uh, is ideal, but it'd be careful, right? You want to make something that is, gives you enough signal as an, as an interviewer, but then uh, is, is reachable, I guess, for an interviewee, someone who can grasp what you're asking and, and can feel like they can do it. Yeah, and it's also a difficult thing to to gauge immediately of if it's successful or not, right? Because it's very easy to to change an interview process. You have a bunch of people go through it, and then you go, "Great, we made a bunch of hires," but you may need three to six months to a year to see are those hires at the same level of the individuals you're bringing in at uh, your former interview process, right? So, it's a, even just iterating on an interview process can take a long time to try to figure out what is the actual outcome we're getting here, right? Versus just, we've made more offers, we've made more hires, right? Which isn't actually um, necessarily the same uh, as it would have been before, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious if you have any system or any um, advice for folks, uh, you know, to break down interview questions. Let's say they're in a situation where, you know, they've got an interview that's stressful and they, they're, they're having that, oh no, I don't exactly know where to go forward at this moment. Do you have any advice or any system on how they can move forward? Yeah, so um, ask questions. Number one, ask questions. Uh, I always have to, even as an interviewer, uh, and as a sometime interviewer, I have to ask myself questions like, uh, or I have to say, I want to be successful, but so does the other person, right? So mm -hmm. if you're interviewing with someone, that person wants you to be, they actually want you to be successful. And if things are going off the rails a little bit, they will help you. Mm -hmm. But if you are not talking to them and you are kind of in your own head, then they can't help you. Yeah. So being open and kind of allowing yourself to just express how you're feeling and what you're looking at, what you're thinking about, uh, I think is super helpful to an interviewer because they want to see your process, they want to see what you're thinking, and it gives them the opportunity to help guide you. Because that's that's really why someone is there in a technical interview, is they're kind of trying to help guide you to the right solution. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Any other tips or advice for engineers who are preparing for technical interviews? I know this is, um, I think for some people, maybe the prep and the just the thought of interviewing is more stressful than the actual interviews themselves. Yeah, I think, you know, think about where you're going to work. Think about if they have given you, you know, any ideas of what they're going to ask you in the technical exercise, really think about it. I've, I've come, I've done interviews where we tell people like, we're going to do something in Go. We're going to do something in some other language. And then if they don't study it, they don't read anything about yeah. it, and they get really lost. And it's just a bad experience for everybody. So try to prepare um, think about who you're interviewing with and what you maybe have heard or know about their process. So 
if you think about some famous examples, I don't know that Google does this in their interviews still, maybe they do. They used to be sort of notorious, like very academic, like exercises. You must do a mm -hmm. breath first traversal of a tree, which is a rather um, interesting sort of way to do it. it it's, not, it's not the obvious one. Um, and people have to think about it. And most people would have learned that in computer science if they took computer yeah. science, but maybe you didn't, maybe you went to boot camp and talked about that. Uh, so sometimes I always think to myself, like maybe those companies are just interviewing you to see if you studied how they do it. And they just want to know if you paid attention. And if you did, you'll pass the interview. And if you didn't, you won't. Um, so that could, that's a component to it. Definitely preparing for it. You don't necessarily have to read up like every algorithm, but if you are interviewing at Google, you should probably look up how other people have written about their experiences interviewing at mm -hmm. Google and do what they talk about because that's probably how you're going to get judged. Yeah. Well, I, I think that that touches on asking questions, like you said, even in the interview itself, but also before the interview, you have a lot of... Um, I mean, no one's going to dock you for points if you say, hey, what should I prepare for, right? And mm -hmm. sometimes companies are offering that and, and that's that's great. But often, you know, you have to ask. And sometimes you're asking an HR person or a recruiter who may not have a ton of technical knowledge to give you, but they'll point you in some directions. Sometimes you can ask the person you're interviewing with directly, what should I prepare for? And <clears throat> I've gotten great responses where I know exactly what I'm going to be asked. <clears throat> like you said, like basically they wanted to see if I'd go do the research after. Um, and I've had situations where they go, oh, you know, we'll, we'll focus on uh, searching or sorting. And I'm like, okay, it's a pretty big range, but I'll try, right? Um, and sometimes it's, it's more straightforward and it's more complicated. So it's always helpful to ask questions. Like that will never hurt you and that can only ever help you. Uh, as an interviewer, I think it is best if you are upfront about what you are looking for. And that way you are reaching a hand out to people who maybe wouldn't always think about asking questions because you don't want to close yourself off from people who could actually be really valuable on your team, but they just didn't yeah. quite do what you, how you narrowly define your interview process. But as an interviewee, asking questions will always be helpful. So now, you know, to the extent that you, you can and you're thinking about it and you're open to it, be that person who is asking all this stuff because it, it can only help you. Yeah. Uh, any, any different advice for early career engineers or is it the same? Yeah, it's, it's roughly the same. I mean, you know, certainly, you know, you have less experience literally doing stuff. If you're, you know, a first time engineer, it, it, it's kind of tough because you you know haven't worked in a team before so you, you just lack some knowledge but being open-minded being curious asking questions and i think this is a really hard thing but it's it's something that you kind of need to do as an engineer is, is allow yourself to feel that you can do whatever is being asked of you you know you may not know a lot about a certain technology but you can learn it you can do that if you spend the time you will get good at rails or you will get good at django whatever technology that you're being asked to do, you can do it. Um, so don't, you have to just kind of treat it like, I can get there, I can do that. Other people are doing it. Other people are getting jobs and they're being successful. It's possible for you also, but you have to allow yourself to even 
tell yourself that you can do this, to even sort of be open to the possibility that you can do it. If you immediately are like, that's way beyond me. I can't do machine learning. Well, you're a data engineer. You can do machine learning. Anybody can do machine learning if they think about it. So you just have, I mean, well, that I put it really simply, but the reality is you have to put lots of time into it. But if you do, it'll work out. Yeah, that, I mean, that's great advice. I think something that was really eye-opening in my career was just getting the realization of like, I don't know, bugs frustrate me, right? And, and bugs are always going to be a part of the job. But if I spend enough time, I will figure it out, right? Like I will be able to find the solution. It might take me 20 minutes. It might take me two hours, but I'll get there, right? And it's happened enough times and now I know that. And just took a while for that to actually sink in. So now when I see a bug, it's not, I'm never going to figure this out. It's okay. Well, there's a certain amount of time it's going to take me. And if I start now that that'll get done sooner. Right. So all a function of time and they yeah. will, there is an end point. Yeah. Well, um, before we move into the, the interview portion, um, any interviewing horror stories you're willing to share? Uh, I mean, there's, yeah. There's a lot of stuff, but I, I, as an interviewer, so to some degree, I wonder if it's not really fair for me to share a lot of the horror sure. stories I've seen. I, but I've definitely, you know, talked to people who, uh, you know, didn't really prepare very well, and we have like really short conversations. I think probably the interviews that are least successful are the ones where people are very closed. They are not asking questions. They are giving very short, terse answers. Um, and then the interview is done in like 30 minutes and you have a whole other 30 minutes to just hang out. And it's sort of, yeah. uh, those, are the, those are the worst ones. I mean, definitely there are some, some interesting experiences that everybody has, but uh, you know, it's, uh, people are messy sometimes. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Great. Well, let's take a, a short break here and then we'll move into the, the interview. Cool. Thank you for watching the first half of the professional technical interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode. So be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.